good to be back with you today as we continue our series in the book of Revelation. Uh, I have to admit I was hoping Jesus would have come back before I needed to finish the rest of this, but I guess it wasn't meant to be. Uh, why don't we take a minute to pray before we jump into Revelation chapter 12 this evening. Heavenly Father, we look to you tonight and we ask you that as we look at your word, as we look at Revelation 12, that you'll give us uh, wisdom and understanding. Lord, we recognize that you have given us this book so that we would understand what's going to unfold in the last days. And so, uh, we just need your insight and your wisdom, and we want to be prepared. We want to be ready, O oh Lord, and we want to live uh, in the reality of this truth that Jesus is coming back soon, and we know that should impact our lives. So, help us, O oh Lord, we pray this evening in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, before I jump into chapter 12, I think it would be important for us to do a little bit of a, re a review of where we're at, uh, both in terms of the prophetic timeline, but also in terms of where we are in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so, I want to uh, talk about the basic timeline, but then line up each of the chapters in the book of Revelation so you'll see where they fit in, and then where we are beginning in chapter 12. Uh, from my perspective... I personally believe the, the next event that's going to take place in the biblical calendar is that there's going to be an agreement that's going to be made between a world leader and the nation of Israel. It'll be an agreement that will be seven years in duration. Now, a lot of Christians believe that the next event in the prophetic timeline is not that agreement, but this event we call the rapture. Um, a lot of Christians believe that the very next thing that's going to happen in terms of the prophetic timeline is that Jesus Christ is going to return uh, from the, the clouds and He'll call us up or rapture us, catch us up to be with Jesus in the air. Uh, but I do not believe that that's the case, and even tonight as we look at what we're going to be looking at, you'll see that Christians are, are part of the events that we read about in Revelation chapter 12. The general timeline, from my perspective, therefore, is this. There'll be a seven-year agreement that's going to be made with Israel. I think it's going to cause a tremendous amount of celebration. And then in the middle of that seven-year period, the Antichrist, this world leader, is going to break his agreement with Israel. And at this point, there's going to be an intense persecution that's going to take place against the people of Israel, and they are going to flee for their lives. Now, as we'll see in the study this week and next week, God's going to prepare the Israelites and protect them during the last three-and-a-half-year period of time, or at least 144,000 of them will be protected. I also think shortly after this event takes place, shortly after the midpoint, maybe, maybe two-thirds of the way through the whole timeline, uh, then I think the rapture will take place, and those who are believers in Christ will join Jesus in the air. Uh, at the end of that seven-year period of time, Jesus is going to return back to the earth. There's going to be a final battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. And then Jesus is going to defeat the enemies of the world, and He's going to establish this millennial kingdom. And of course, it's called a millennial kingdom because it's going to last for 1,000 years. And we believe that during that thousand-year period, Jesus is going to be literally ruling on the earth, but during that time, Satan is going to be put away for a season. But at the end of the thousand-year period, the devil's going to be released, 
for a short period of time, there's going to be one final battle that's going to take place against Jesus, and uh, of course, Jesus is going to win that battle. And at the end of that, the last two things that need to happen is that Satan will be cast into hell along with those who were part of his kingdom, and then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and those who are believers in Christ are going to live with Jesus Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. So I think this is the general timeline that takes place. Now, when we're talking about the the end times, and we talk about this period called the tribulation period, and this tribulation period, I think, is different from what's called the day of the Lord uh, or the wrath of God. Jesus talks about, I think, this difference in Matthew 24 and verse 29, where he said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the celestial powers will be shaken. Now, what I want you to note about this is that this is describing both this event called the tribulation, but then there are these things that are going to happen with the sun and the moon, and that's something different. That's not part of the tribulation. And so we believe, or I personally believe, that Christians will go through most of this tribulation, but we will be taken up to be with Jesus in heaven just before the events that Jesus talked about in this verse are unfolded because we are not going to go through the judgment of God. We're going to be spared the judgment, and there's a big difference in Revelation as well as in Matthew. There's a big difference between the tribulation events and then the judgment of God. And we know as Christians, of course, we're going to be spared the judgment, but this tribulation period, the the things that characterize the tribulation period, and part of the reason I think we'll go through it, is that they are events that are just typical of, of the world of today. You know, Jesus described it as things like there will be wars and rumors of wars, there'll be pestilence, you know, there'll be earthquakes in various places, and there'll be false prophets, and and these are all things that are happening today, and these are things that... that characterize the tribulation period. But then at a certain point, a change takes place, and both in Matthew and in Revelation, suddenly things take an ominous turn, and you realize this is the judgment of God, and I believe will be taken up into heaven just before that takes place. Now, this is, again, my general timeline. A seven-year agreement is going to be made with Israel. In the middle of that seven-year period, at the three-and-a-half-year point, the Antichrist is going to break his agreement with Israel. He will go and try to persecute the Jewish nation. They will flee for their lives. 144,000 of them will be saved. Sometime after that, the rapture will take place, and Christians will, will take, uh, be caught up into heaven to be with Jesus Then Jesus is going to come down actually with us. There'll be this final battle that we're actually a part of. And then Jesus will reign for a thousand years. At the end of that, there'll be the final judgment. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, how does this line up with the book of Revelation? Well, we talked about the fact in the first half of this series that Revelation chapters 1 through 5 relate to the church age. And this is where I think we are right now in this period called the church age. Uh, The chapters 4 and 5 specifically talk about some events that are happening in heaven just before this tribulation period is launched. When you get to Revelation chapter 6, we read this description of the tribulation. 
And so in my timeline, this is exactly what I would expect and where in Revelation these things would happen. I would expect that you'd have the church age and then all of a sudden the tribulation period would begin and it begins in chapter 6 where again you read about wars and rumors of wars and you read about the false prophets and things like this all in symbolic form in Revelation 6. When you get to chapter 7, you get the sealing of the 144,000, and you also read about the rapture. Toward the end of Revelation chapter 7, you'll read about a multitude of people that suddenly show up in heaven from every tongue and tribe and nation. And those who have a pre-tribulational position, in other words, they think that will be removed before the tribulation, they don't, do not know what's happening in Revelation 7. But in my timetable, the rapture happens exactly where I would expect it. It happens toward the end of this tribulation period, right before the judgment is going to begin on the earth. And then when you go to Revelation chapter 8, you read about this judgment that's going to take place on the earth, the sky, and the water. In Revelation chapter 9, we read about the judgment that's going to take place on the people of the earth. When you get to Revelation chapter 10, we read about Jesus returning to rule. And when you get to Revelation chapter 11, it ends with Jesus reigning on the earth, but it also touches just briefly on the final judgment. Now, if you were with us in the first half of this book, I told you that I felt like the first 11 chapters of the book of Revelation encompass the whole story. But when you get to chapter 12, the story is reset in the middle or to the middle of the tribulation period. And so when you, you begin in chapter 12 and you read chapters 12 and 13, the events we're going to read about for the most part start in the middle of the tribulation period at the three and a half year point. But before Revelation 12 launches into that, we get a little history lesson related to Israel, and that's how Revelation chapter 12 starts. We just get a little bit of a background of the nation of Israel. And one thing to recognize, by the way, uh, is that from Revelation 12 on, the focus will be on the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. Uh, and this is something that Jesus predicted would happen, and Paul talked about this as well. So with this background in mind, let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where we read, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. The question we have to ask ourselves is, who is this woman? And it's very clear from my perspective that this is the nation of Israel. The imagery that's depicted here in Revelation chapter 12 is very similar to a dream that Joseph had all the way back in the book of Genesis. Joseph, one of the 12 sons of the man named Israel, had a couple dreams, and his second dream relates to the image we find here in Revelation 12. Let's read in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9, where he's talking to his brothers, we read, then he had a, another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, the, the interpretation is very clear to actually everybody listening to this dream. 
that the sun and the moon represent Joseph's parents. And then in his dream, there were 11 stars that were bowing down to him, and he was the 12th star. And so you realize that this image here is, is a picture of the nation of Israel, the, the mother, the father, having, uh, giving birth to the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's what's depicted here in verses 1 and 2 again. Let's read those verses once again. A great sign appeared in heaven. By the way, the word sign there means a symbol. A great symbol or sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. So again, the woman here is the nation of Israel. Who is the baby that's about to be born? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems, or crowns. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. Now, let's stop here, but clearly in this passage, the dragon depicted here is, of course, Satan. And the stars that are swept down to the earth, based on what we read earlier in the book of Revelation, those stars represent angels. Now, I believe that what's happening here in Revelation 12 and verse 3 is that it's, it's describing when Satan was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. A lot of scholars believe that this is the verse that indicates when, when before Adam and Eve were created, a rebellion took place in heaven, Satan was cast out, and one-third of the angels were cast out with him. Now, this dragon is depicted as having seven heads and ten horns. Uh, I will get into the symbolism of this in a little bit, and also the number and the significance of all of it. What I want us to understand at this point, though, is that the image here is it's illustrating the fact that Satan has in the past and in the future always worked through world governments to accomplish his purposes. And so in a very general sense, as you're reading about this dragon that has the seven heads and the ten horns, it's describing a scene where the devil is working through or in tandem with the kingdoms of this world. Now, in this case, the dragon is standing there waiting for the birth of a baby. And I would argue that what's happening here is this is describing how when Jesus was born, Herod tried to have him killed. In verse 5, we read in Revelation 12, 5, it says, but she gave birth to a son, a male, who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, in my version of the Bible, the word son here is capitalized. And so the dragon is being depicted as standing there, representing, of course, uh, Herod's kingdom, waiting for the baby to be born, and he wants to kill the child. What's interesting about the description of the child is that this male, it says here in verse 5, is going to shepherd all the nations with an iron scepter. This 
is coming directly out of Psalm 2. It's describing the millennial kingdom where Jesus was going to reign. And so there's no doubt that this is then describing the scene where Jesus is going to be born, but the devil is going to try to have the child killed through Herod. Verse 5, though, ends this way. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so what you see depicted here is the ascension. Now, we recognize that Satan did not achieve his goal of having this baby killed, but he did achieve the goal of having Jesus crucified on the cross. And he did die, and he was buried, but he rose again from the dead. And then you remember that 40 days later, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's waiting there until the day in which he's going to rule. And so at this point in Revelation chapter 12, we're seeing this scene where before, before the, the, the current day in which we're living, in fact, even before time, the devil was working through nations with a third of the angels. When Jesus was born, he tried to kill the child. He did not succeed. Then Jesus ascended into heaven. And now, quickly, Revelation 12 jumps into the future. At this point in Revelation 12, beginning in verse 6, now we're in the future, and we're going to see that the devil still wants to work through the nations of this world to go after the descendants or children of this woman. Let's read verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1260 Days. Again, who is the woman in this? Well, it's the nation of Israel. And now we're reading that in the middle of the tribulation period, when there are 1,260 days left, which equates to three and a half years, this group is going to be protected. She's going to flee into the wilderness to a place that God has provided for her. A lot of theologians believe that this is Petra. It's going to be a place in the Jordan where these... 144,000 Jewish people are going to be protected. Of course, this also hints at the fact that the devil is going to be persecuting them for three and a half years. By the way, we get a, a picture of how they get there into the wilderness in verse 14 of this chapter, where we read, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was fed for a time, times, and half a time. Again, for a year, two years, and then half a year. It says she will be fly out like on the wings of an eagle. Now, this does not necessarily mean that they're going to take airplanes, although that's possible. It's possible that just before this persecution take, uh, it becomes really intense that they'll escape. But I want us to remember that in the book of Exodus, this same picture was used. In Exodus 19, in verse 4, Moses is speaking, and he's speaking the words of God. And he says this, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. And so, in the Old Testament, what's being described there is when the people of Israel left Egypt, and you remember God sent plagues and signs upon the Egyptians, and then they were released, and they were allowed to be set free, and they made their way toward the promised land. Well, this same illustration is used of an eagle, how, 
how God carried them out of Egypt in a similar way he's going to do that in the future. Now, again, many people feel like the place where these, this Jewish nation is going to be, the 144,000, is going to be in Petra. Dr. Walvert writes about this. Some suggest that it might be Petra, which is the fortress capital of the Nabataeans in Edom, south of the Dead Sea. This city has a narrow access which could easily be blocked, but which opens up into a large canyon capable of caring for many thousands of people. And so you realize that there is indeed a space there that would be large enough. Many people have noted, too, that the area has caves everywhere. There are just caves all over the place where they would be able to hide. Now, since this takes place in the middle of the tribulation, it is very important that the Jewish nation wake up really quickly and understand what's happening. Because the persecution against them is going to turn violent very, very quickly. Now, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 15. Let's read the prophecy that Jesus made. He said, so when you see the abomination that causes desolation, of course, this is a reference to the Antichrist and the, and the fact that he's going to destroy. When you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, in other words, in the temple in Israel, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again." Unless those days were limited, no one would survive, but those days will be limited because of the elect. And so you realize that this persecution is going to happen very quickly, and it'll be worse than any persecution that has ever happened. And so those living in Israel are told, when this happens, when this Antichrist declares himself to be God in Jerusalem... That, that they shouldn't even go back in the house and get any clothes. They don't have time to pack. It's going to happen very quickly, very rapidly. They need to get out of there, really by the skin of their teeth. And many of them will. Again, we know from the rest of the book of Revelation that 144,000 of them are going to escape. But I think almost all the rest of them are going to be put to death. Now, as we'll see in a little bit in this chapter and the next, after the Antichrist goes after the Jewish people, then he starts going after Christians. And again, I think we'll be around for a lot of this. Now, let's get to this description here of the devil. The devil was described as having heads and horns. And this is describing, I believe, the future kingdom that's going to be around during that seven-year tribulation period. It's going to be a 10-nation confederacy, and it's going to start with at least 10 rulers, but eventually may only have seven. And we get our understanding of what's happening here from the book of Daniel. Now, I want to remind you again that the devil here is depicted 
in this chapter as being working in tandem with the nations of the world. And so he worked through the kingdoms of the world, or at least through Herod, to try to kill the baby Jesus, and then eventually to kill Jesus, and, and, and he put him on a cross. And now this kingdom with the heads and horns, this is describing the final kingdom. And once again, the devil is going to try to wipe the Jewish nation off the planet. But Daniel talked about a beast with horns and heads. It's found in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. And he dreamt about four different beasts, and we're going to look at the fourth one here. In Daniel 7 and verse 7, we read, While I was watching in the night visions, Daniel speaking, a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. Now, I want to make the point here that the beasts that we read about in Daniel earlier than this are scary beasts, but they're natural beasts. But when you get to this one, you find that this particular beast has large iron teeth, and you realize that there's a supernatural nature to this last kingdom. In fact, we know that this Antichrist is actually going to be possessed by the devil and it's really going to be Satan's kingdom operating on this world. And so it's going to be a very, very difficult time. But anyway, um, let's keep reading here. It had large iron teeth. It says it devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. Now, the horns, as we'll see in a minute here, represent the leader's of these nations, but also they represent the nations themselves. Themselves, The last kingdom that's going to be on this earth over which the Antichrist is going to rule will be a ten-nation confederacy, but it will be an unnatural, demonic kingdom. Now, let's look at the interpretation that Daniel was given about the beast that he saw with the iron teeth. Skipping to verse 23 of Daniel 7. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. And so it's real clear what the horns stand for. They, they stand for kings. Skipping to verse 25. He, this Antichrist, will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones, the nation of Israel, will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Now, I want to make this observation that Revelation, the book of Revelation, the Gospel of Matthew, and now Daniel here are all talking about the same event. They're all describing a kingdom where a world leader is going to rise up and he's going to rule over these ten nations, over these ten other leaders. Now, I told you at the beginning of the talk that I wanted to talk a little bit more about the heads and the horns of this final kingdom. And so let's go back to verse 3 of Revelation 12. Well, we read, then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a fiery great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on the heads were seven diadems. Now, again, this dragon is Satan. The heads and horns represent the kingdom through which he's going to work. 
Here's the thing that I want us to understand, and I think it's what, what most people do not understand about the image here. In, in his vision, John's vision here, the seven heads and the ten horns all represent leaders. It's not just seven nations and ten rulers. No, the horns and the heads all represent leaders. And you say, well, how is that? Well, I'll spell that out in a minute here. But we get the interpretation if we skip ahead to Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation 17, we read, here's, a mind, here's the mind with wisdom, beginning in verse 9. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. Did you catch that? It says the seven heads, explaining this dragon with the seven heads. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated, but they're also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and one is yet to come. What I'd like for us to understand here is that the city of Rome is called the city of seven hills or the city of seven mountains. And this is part of the reason that a lot of people believe that the final kingdom of this world is going to be a revived Roman Empire. And so the seven heads are describing the seven hills upon which this, this city sits, which is Rome. And then there are seven heads. It's also describing these as being seven leaders. What's noteworthy about these heads or these leaders is that it says that five of them have disappeared already. One is around currently in John's day, and one was yet to come. What's being described there? Well, I believe that this is describing kingdoms of the past. And we'll see, I'll spell this out in a minute here, but these are kingdoms of the past. Now, the horns also represented kings. In Revelation 17, 12, we get this interpretation. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast or the Antichrist. These will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Those with Him are called chosen and faithful. And by the way, we are the ones who are with Him in Revelation 17. We are the called ones, the chosen ones, the faithful ones. Now, Again, I acknowledge this image that we find in Revelation 12 here is a little confusing. It's got the seven heads. It's got the ten horns. It's a dragon. Again, let me reiterate, though, what I began with by saying that Satan has always worked through the kingdoms of this world to accomplish his purposes. And here what we find happening is that Satan worked in the past through various world kingdoms to try to get rid of Israel. Now, in a little bit, or next week, I want to explain why. Why have they been attacking Israel all this time? But Daniel himself had a vision of these kingdoms. And so, a lot of these kingdoms have come and gone, and then there's a final kingdom through which the devil's going to work. And so, what you have here is a final world kingdom that's also going to try to go after the Jewish nation. So, who are these heads? Well... I think there are two interpretations. 
One of them is that these are the nations of the past that all tried to destroy Israel, which has again been Satan's M.O. since the beginning of time. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we read that there'd be opposition of the, uh, the devil against the children of God. But those nations are likely the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, and many feel like the Third Reich or the Germanic Empire was part of this revived Roman Empire. These are all groups that tried to destroy Israel. Now, you remember that Israel didn't become a nation until 1948, and this is very, very significant in terms of the Bible timeline because these other groups all tried to attack Israel in the past, and Daniel describes some of these nations as we'll see as we continue in Revelation. But they're ones that have come and gone, and, and they tried to destroy Israel. There were the Egyptians, and then there were the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. In some ways, I think Babylon, with Nebuchadnezzar the king, was the first truly world government. And then there were the Persians that came afterwards, and then there were the Greeks, and then there were the Romans, and all of these were groups that were world kingdoms. And then in A.D. 70, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, there's been no nation of Israel. But now almost 2,000 years has passed, and suddenly Israel is back. I'm making the point that with the revival of Israel, now the Satan is getting ready to work through the 10-nation revived Roman Empire. And so the heads represent these kingdoms of the past. Now, some others believe that these seven heads represent leaders of the past, specifically that they represent Roman leaders. Dr. Walverd writes about this. He says, while the seven heads may be chronologically successive rulers of the Roman Empire who are singled out as prominent, the ten horns, by contrast, are contemporaneous with each other. And as the text indicates, they will receive political power for a brief time. And so, I'm making the point that Revelation chapter 12 is describing a beast in terms of history and nations that have come and gone that tried to go after Israel, but it's also speaking prophetically as well. It's talking about a final kingdom that's going to take place, and they're going to, in the middle of the tribulation, also go after Israel with the goal in mind to wipe them off the planet. Let's continue, though, looking in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, where we read, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Now this might be a little bit confusing because if you remember in the first part of Revelation chapter 12, I made the point that the devil was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. The word stars is used to describe them, how the dragon swept a third of the angels with his stars, or a third of the angels out of heaven. And they came down to the earth. And so I, I said that this described a scene that took place right before the Garden of Eden. 
And so what's happening here? We find this battle in heaven, and it looks like they're being cast out again. Well, what I want us to understand is though Satan was cast out of heaven back in, in the days of the Garden of Eden, he still had, it seems, some right or privilege to go into the presence of God. In fact, we have scenes in the Old Testament where Satan approaches God. You remember the story of Job, for example, where Satan came into the throne room where God was, and, and he offered God a bet concerning whether or not Job would, would deny faith in God if, if he attacked him. And so you realize that the devil was allowed, even though he'd been kicked out of heaven, he was allowed to return temporarily. And there are other times and other places in the Bible where we read that we find demons in heaven with God. That's not where they're allowed to live anymore. I think they were cast out of heaven, and they're involved with this world, and Satan is called the ruler of this world. But up to this point of the prophetic story, they have the right to go back to heaven if, if God summons them or whatever reason that they'd be allowed to go into heaven. But when you get to this battle that we just read about in Revelation 12, an angelic battle that took place, Satan is now, has now been cast out of heaven once and for all, along with all of these demons. Now, this is a scary thing for the earth, and this partly explains why when you get into this Antichrist, Things are going to get really, really bad on this earth because Satan and all the demons are now going to be only operating in this realm. Now, the moment that Satan is cast out of heaven, I think this begins the start of Jesus actually reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Continuing in Revelation 12 and verse 10, we read, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before God day and night. Again, the scene that's being described here is the fact that Satan is called the accuser of the, the brethren, and he accuses us even now before the throne of God day and night. But now, at this point in Revelation 12, 10, after this angelic battle takes place, he's cast down out of heaven once and for all. Jesus is beginning to reign. And his reign is starting up in the heavenlies, and then it's, of course, going to move down to the earth when Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom. Now, unfortunately, all of this means it's going to be hard for not only the Jewish nation, but for believers or Christians because an intense persecution is going to take place, and we read a lot of Christians are going to be put to death at this point. In the very next verse, in Revelation 12, 11, we read how believers conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. This is describing the fact that we as Christians are going to defeat the devil by our faith, by the conviction of our faith, by the fact that even though we're facing death, we're not going to back down. And this is the thing that I think is going to prove that it's all true. The very fact that as Christians we can stare death in the face and refuse to deny Christ is proof of the fact that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the beginning of the end for the devil. Continuing in verse 12, we read, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows he has a short time. I tend to view the devil in this scene as being like a trapped animal. He realizes the time is running out. He's got to cause as much harm and damage as possible. And so this is why the second half of this tribulation period is called the Great Tribulation. Let's continue reading in verse 13 of Revelation 12. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Again, this is the nation of Israel, so he persecuted the Jewish nation. Verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was fed for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, we read, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away in a torrent. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. He, this devil, stood at the sand of the sea. Now this ends with this horrible persecution that takes place. We realize here, though, the devil is going to try to drown them. And I take this, by the way, literally. It seems to me that whether it be the caves in Petra or this narrow area where the Israelites are going to flee in order to escape the devil and the Antichrist, it looks like Satan is going to try to, to drown them. But God's going to cause an earthquake, and the water is going to pour down into the earthquake instead. God is going to take care of them. It's essential that this 144,000 group of, of Jewish people be preserved so that they can rule with Christ when He comes to reign. But notice what it said here. In verse 17, it said, so the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Well, who are the rest of the offspring? Well, that's Christians. We're, we're, we're the children of Abraham, children of faith. And unlike the Jewish nation, these ones are described in verse 18 just a little bit differently. It describes them as being those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. Of course, this is talking about Christians and our testimony about Jesus. And so, we have to understand that there is indeed going to be this persecution that we as Christians are going to undergo. Now, this is part of the reason, again, where I, I just do not understand how some Christians believe that, that we will not be here during this tribulation period. In fact, some believe there'll be no Christians around. In fact, they think it's even going to be impossible to be saved during that seven-year period. But when I read this text and others like it, I realize, no, we're going to see some of these things unfold. And we're going to be part of it, and it's going to be essential that we be prepared for that. Now, the, the last verse of this chapter goes this way. He stood on the sand of the sea, and we get a scene here where this dragon, the devil, and the Antichrist, they're getting ready to summon others to join with them on this final showdown that's going to take place. Next week, Lord willing, we'll continue with the story, and we'll see really the other half 
of this kingdom, what it's going to look like, and how the devil's going to work through a few individuals, not just one. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we're grateful that you have allowed us to understand and, and read about what's going to happen. And we do acknowledge there are so many mysteries here. And yet we, we see that things are moving in this direction even now. We marvel at the fact that the nation of Israel has come alive again. Though she was dead, she's alive again. And, and how now the devil is going after her. And how the devil's going to go after us as well. We want to be ones, oh Lord, though, that are close to you. And we celebrate the fact that we have Jesus. No matter what happens, we have Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.